Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks for your presence with us here this morning. Lord, we're coming off of Easter Sunday last week, and I know in my own heart, Lord, sometimes it can be easy to see these things on the calendar as big moments, Christmas and Easter, and we get all jazzed up for those days, which we should, but Father, we can easily miss the significance of every ordinary gathering of your people to celebrate and be reminded of the incredible reality that you came to this world and that you died on the cross and that you rose again. And so, Father, as we are a week removed from Easter Sunday, celebrating the Resurrection Sunday, I pray for all of us who are, whether we're online or we're here, Lord, in this very place, God, that you would be, by your Holy Spirit, quieting down the things in our heads and our hearts. Maybe this week's been a really hard week. Maybe work's been really difficult and coworkers have not done what we've wanted them to do or they've treated us poorly or this, that, and the other, Lord, or our spouse or our Longing to be in a relationship hasn't come through yet, God, or bank accounts lower than we need it to be. Our Father, we are sailing in good times, and we haven't really thought about you much this week. Lord, wherever we find ourselves this morning, Lord, you have, you have called us together this morning. And so even as Nick encouraged us and pointed us, Lord, this is a, this is a work of your Holy Spirit that you call us together as your people to sit under your word and to to be renewed and to be transformed and to be conformed more to the image of Jesus. And so, Lord, you know where everyone is in this room, including myself. And so, Father, as we open up your word, Lord, we pray that you would do the work that you long to do in us as your people, that Jesus might be glorified that we might be encouraged, that we might find hope, that we would remember that we are not alone. We are actually together and united in you. And so Jesus, would you do that work? Only you can do it. Be with me now as I preach from your word, Father, help only the right things to stick. Lord, anything that I say that is not of you, Father, I pray it would pass very quickly. But Lord, do, do your work. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we're at the close of our series in Luke, guys. We made it. Who was here from the very beginning? I wasn't. I think I was 25 when y'all started. (laughs) I had a beard when we started. It's gone. 55 parts in the book of Luke. What an incredible account. Luke is a doctor. Luke is writing a, uh, an account of Jesus's life. Luke is, is a detailed oriented guy. He's a doctor. He knows a lot of things. He's the type A guy who's going to have his list and go, I want to make sure that these things are accounted for. And the whole thing that we've been looking at is this detailed account of Jesus's life and his ministry. And what Alan and anyone else who's been preaching in this whole series has been around these two things, right? And you probably know this. You probably are like, yes, I can repeat these. So here, you're going to repeat. No, I'm not going to ask you to repeat them. The two things have been Jesus is coming to bring his kingdom. That's the point of Luke. Jesus is coming and bringing the kingdom of God. He is, he is heralding the fact that the inaugural part of his kingdom has arrived and it's come and it is him. And the other part is that all of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and many others, they, were gonna re- they rejected him. They rejected him. But an unlikely group of people 
And the likely group of people has accepted Jesus's claim as bringing the kingdom of God. And so this whole account of Luke has been around this idea. And so we land the plane today. Luke lands the plane in his account and he lands it on Resurrection Sunday, the first one. And man, last week was so encouraging just to be with you, Grace. So I, I don't know how many of you were here and a part of that, but just as, 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 a, as an opportunity to just be out on the green and to invite family, to invite friends, to invite coworkers, to invite strangers to come. There was so many people there. And it's not that about the numbers of people, but it's about the opportunity for people to hear the good news of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. I'm encouraged, and I hope that you are encouraged at seeing the very thing that we're going to see in Luke back then is still at work and in, in, in play today. And so we're looking at Resurrection Sunday, the very first one. And so the title of my sermon today is The Nail in the Coffin. Pretty hopeful, huh? Why, why did I name it this way? What was supposed to be the nail in Jesus's coffin is actually the nail in Satan's. Resurrection Sunday flipped the script. Sin is defeated forever. Death no longer has reign over our lives because of our sin, because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has risen from the dead. We say it a lot in church, but I hope we don't ever miss the incredible reality of that statement. It is a radical statement. Jesus was raised from the dead. In three short days, get this, Luke's account is picking this up. In three short days, it went from tragedy to triumph, to agony, to praise, from grief to joy. And we're going to see all of that today in this last bit of the text. And so here's the one question I want us, as we finish this section in Luke, and we finish all of Luke, here's the question I want to answer today. What does the resurrection mean for you? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? Is it just a propositional truth that we understand, or does it have more meaning that we're supposed to live out from? Now, I think some of us might answer that question really quickly, but I don't want us to answer it too quickly. Let's look at Jesus's words, Luke's account of Jesus and what he did, and answer that question. And there's two parts to that question. One of it is, how are we supposed to live our life? What does the resurrection mean? So how does it, how does it affect our lives as followers of Jesus? That's one part of this question. But then the other question is for some of us in this room and online, maybe, or whenever you're going to listen to this at some point, maybe you're in your car or something like that. If you're not following Jesus, the question to you is, what does the resurrection mean to you as well? And so I want to answer those two questions today as we look at our text. So grab your Bible. Our text is in Luke 24, the last chapter of Luke, and we're going to be starting in verse 13. So go ahead and grab your Bible. We'll have it on the screen so you can follow along. And this is a long section. And so this is 13 through 53. We're going to close out this section. I'm just going to let the word of God, we're going to read it, and we're going to spend time in that. And then this is the thing I want us to do. To answer those two questions, I think these three things are going to be very helpful for us that we're going to see in the text. To answer the question, what does the resurrection mean for us? We're going to, we're going to find out who Jesus is, who Jesus is, what Jesus gives, and what Jesus wants. And those things will, I believe, help us to answer the question of what does the resurrection mean 
for us. So open your Bible if you have it. Follow along on the screen. We are going to dive in and we are going to let the word of God be read over us. Guys, I, I love this because this is really just, it's kind of like a movie where you get to sit back and just watch. So as we read this, kind of, I don't know, we don't have popcorn, but if we did, this would be the spot. Grab the popcorn, enjoy. This is going to be an amazing, amazing story, account, a real life account. So enjoy this scene. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And what had happened was Jesus had been crucified. Jesus was put to death. That's what they're referring to. While they were talking, discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Gosh, that is hysterical. We, we know who he's talking to. They don't. They're asking Jesus, the one who's just raised from the dead, dude, where have you been? And he's like, well, I've been, well, he doesn't say that. I've been dead, guys. That's where I've been. Then one of them looking at Cleopas, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? I love that. He's just playing along. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they they didn't find his body there. And they had even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets? He interpreted them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. What? They said to each other, did not our hearts burn? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Remember, seven miles away. <laughs> and they found the 11, which is the disciples, minus one, Judas, the one who had betrayed Jesus. And they found them who were gathered there together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And he appeared to Simon. They told what had happened to him on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of bread. And then here's part two of our story, our movie that we're watching and just observing. 
As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. That's a little creepy. And he said to them, thank you, Jesus, peace to you. Aren't they just like us? But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. That it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, what a line. And were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the, in the name to all na nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are closed with power from on high. And here's our closing scene, y'all. Then Jesus, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and we're continually in the temple blessing God. What does the resurrection mean for us, Grace Hill? That story, unbelievable. Is it? I mean, we just read that together. Like, your reaction is probably one of a couple of things. Amazement, incredulity, incre I don't even know the word. I don't know how to say it being amazed and astounded at the reality of what Luke's account is saying, that this Jesus is now alive. These people didn't recognize him, but then he showed himself, and then they did. There's so many things. He vanishes. What in the world is happening now? Things are getting a little weird. And yet he was familiar all at the same time. What does the resurrection mean for us? Well, it's the same thing it meant for them in this story. The first thing we get to see is who Jesus is. The resurrection means for us that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus' whole point for coming was to say that I am the Son of God. I am the rescuer of humanity. I am the one who will bear sins. I am the one that will forgive your sins and my sins. This text, the resurrection, means that what he said was true. Verse 21, what does verse 21 say? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since all these things had happened. What did it say about these guys? They were sad because what? They didn't think he was actually the Savior. But what does verse 25 say to us? Jesus turns, don't get the impression he's being mean here, okay? It does seem a little mean. Oh, foolish ones. Oh, foolish ones. 
and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Do you not realize it is me standing in front of you? It was necessary that I should suffer these things and enter into my glory. Jesus is the Savior. The resurrection means that everything that God promised was true. Listen, here's the other thing. This is Jesus' victory lap, y'all. We live in a day and age where presidents, once they get elected, their victory lap, what does it look like? There's a thousand things going on, a thousand people. This is Jesus' victory lap, you guys. The first resurrection Sunday, he just came from the grave. Does it strike you that one of the very first things he did once blood started to course back again through his veins and his heart started to beat again, that he got up? What do you, I can tell you what I would have done. I don't want to get too far ahead. Jesus' victory lap is walking seven miles with two men that he didn't know. I'd have headed to the courts where I'd just been condemned. And I've been like, I'm back. And so would you. Jesus walked with two men he didn't know. <laughs> it struck me. Maybe, it's, maybe you've read that before and you've been like, yeah, that's okay. But like, I was like, that is amazing to me that the Savior of the entire world, his first thing when he gets up from the grave is to go get to know two other people and to care for them, and to walk. It's vanishing. <laughs> like, I'd have done the Star Trek thing. Like I'd, I'd rather just commute like that now, but he gets it, and he walks on the dirty road for seven miles with two strangers. He could have done so many things. The second thing we see about the resurrection, what it means for us is that Jesus is near. He drew, new to, drew near to these two men. And I think this is so often missed in the good news of the gospel for you and for me, that Jesus literally literally comes near to us. This isn't just a mental exercise where we think, yes, okay, God, you're transcendent and you're imminent. These are two big words that we'll use often. Transcendent is he's holy, he's other than, and imminent means that he's close, that he's near. But man, I think the imminent part is hard for us to get sometimes. This proves that Jesus is literally near. And when he says, where two or more are gathered, there I am. That Jesus is here. His spirit is among us and in this place right now. He is near to us. He is not far. Our Savior comes close. He comes towards the whole count of Luke as he comes towards, literally, he comes towards sinners. You and me and all the downcasts and all the people that no one wanted to spend time with. He came close to literally those who were sick. He came close literally to those who were broken, and he came close to those who were poor and outcasts of society. He invited them in to feasts and parties that no one else would invite them into. Here's the thing. Jesus, the good news of the resurrection, what it means for us is Jesus doesn't simply hand, give handouts from afar. He hand delivers them. He gives himself as well as the peace that he offers and the healing that he brings. He does it himself. What a savior. He cares deeply for us personally. I want to answer the question of what does resurrection mean by looking at what does Jesus give? In this text, what did we see? To the do that, story, you'll need to we, turn off airplane mode. Yes, Lord. 
He gives us Siri. <laughs> Jesus gives hope. Death no longer has the final say. That's a big deal. Jesus opens the two men's eyes to be able to see him. Jesus' body had actually changed. And so when he broke the bread, I think what happens in that story, this is just my opinion. This isn't in the text. But when it says all of a sudden they recognize him, what does it say he did right before that? He broke the bread. Now, if his resurrected body is different, there's some things that the scriptures say he will always bear. And that's his scars. And I think that those men saw the nail scars of Jesus when he broke the bread. And I believe that was the moment where Jesus chose to open their eyes that they might see who it was right in front of them, breaking bread for them that had just walked seven miles with them, talking about all of the things that had just transpired. How hopeful would that have been for those two men? I mean, we got to imagine that moment. We, we can't skip past that. We got to sit. We, we sit at a table. And if Jesus had been right there and broke bread, what would your reaction be? I think it's very similar to what these men's reaction was. And look, there's hope because this shows that the physical breakdown of your body and my body as well is not the end. So friend, Jesus is Savior But Jesus gives us hope to know that this is not the end. Jesus was standing in his resurrected body in front of these two men showing, listen, death is not the final say anymore. I've conquered it. And this is the hope. Our physical bodies will be resurrected as well. Paul tells us in his letters that we too will be changed. Our bodies ourselves will be resurrected. And the other thing that Jesus gives in hope is that our pain isn't in vain. The New Testament is full of encouragement. Why? Why is the New Testament full of encouragement? Because of the resurrection. What encouragement is there if the resurrection is not true? What hope can we offer one another if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true? The New Testament is full of encouragement to hang on in hard times because Jesus rose from the dead. And so we are encouraged to know that God is at work in the pain and the difficulties in this life. Are you in pain or in difficulty in your life? Yeah, I bet if we're honest, all of us would find it somewhere. And if we haven't yet, it will come. And this whole account of Jesus's life in ministry is to point through that Jesus is going to flip the script on death and pain and show that there is actually a redemptive purpose for the wages of sin, and that he has conquered those now, and that he uses, as we read in Romans 8, 28, that he, for the, he works for good for all of those who love him. And so the encouragement that Jesus gives is hope in the midst of pain and difficulty, because there's a resurrected Savior. That's real hope. God's plan Jesus' goal was to die. He always had that in view. He said it over and over and over again, and nobody listened to him. Over and over and over again in the count of Luke, he says, this is what I'm going to do. And people like start talking about something so different. You're like, who? Did you miss what he just said? It's unbelievable. 
And yet he came and did it. He flips everything on his head. Satan is not one. Sin does not reign. Jesus does. So this is what's hopeful for you and me today is that as we struggle, we, we will struggle because life is hard. But God shows us there's a purpose in our pain. Jesus' physical resurrected body gives us the literal picture, literal picture of real hope. And look at verse 41. I, I love verse 41. While they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. It's almost like these guys are like, this is too good to be true. Jesus is standing right there in their midst, telling them who he is. And I, I, they're just like, it should be like if he showed up right here in physical form, we would be like, slack jawed. That's what they're disbelieving. Like if this kid is, you know, I think there's that spot just like, is this real? Like when your kids show up to Disney World or something like that, or there's a thing that they wanted and you just see in them, it's just, just like, and if there's like this pause, they're like frozen because it's like, this is really happening. Like that's the picture we get. Real hope. The resurrected Jesus gives us hope and he gives us courage. Verse 45, Jesus opens their minds to understand the word of God. They now fully believe all that God has said and done. They see that God has actually kept all of his promises that he made from the Old Testament, promising a savior, promising the Messiah. All of it now is open and their minds have been opened and now they understand. And his presence with them not only gives them courage, it changes them. Notice the language that is used. It's a change. He doesn't use the word disciples anymore. What's the word that's used in there? They are now what? Witnesses. Witnesses. Witnesses are a big deal today, aren't they? Why? Because they affirm with their own eyes what has happened, what they have seen and experienced. So the disciples now go from just simply disciples to witnesses of the resurrected real life and body of Jesus Christ. That's what changes here. These are people who now can testify with their own eyes of the resurrected father. And he says the other thing too is the courage comes that he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and that's coming. That's the next book that's coming from Luke, and he's going to explain all that happens when the power from on high comes. Jesus gives courage to do the thing that he's called them to do. And can you imagine that picture of watching Jesus ascend to heaven? Talk about something that gives you courage to be able to stand up for the faith and what was going to transpire after for all of the disciples, except for one. All that was ahead for them. What gave them courage? It was Jesus. It's not a Sunday school answer. It's a reality. And the other thing I want us to see is that Jesus gives a purpose. The resurrected Jesus didn't tell the witnesses just to sit tight. What does it say at the end of the text? They go back to Jerusalem to do what? To live So often the gospel is something that we understand so that we know what to do when we die. So many of us as Christians, myself included, have just been taught, like, I got my get out of hell free card. Thank you, Jesus. And it's like, well, now what do I do? 
Man, discipleship and following Jesus means to show us how to live. They went back to Jerusalem, not to hole up, but to live their lives fully and freely. Verse 52, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So what is this purpose that Jesus gives? The purpose is to love others. Jesus has already said it in Luke 10. He says the two greatest commandments are to love one another just as I have loved you, and you are also to love one another. In fact, in John 13, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples as if you have love for one another. This is the purpose that Jesus gives, his resurrected body. When he comes and what he says to do is to proclaim the gospel and the good news of Jesus to all these things and to love each other. So it's to be with each other, to live life together, doing this, following Jesus together. I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis in his sermon on the way to glory says this. I want to read this to you. When we think about what it means to live, what the resurrection means for us, to love one another, Lewis says this. It's a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to, you got that picture in your head? May one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. The resurrection of Jesus means that we have the responsibility that God has given through his spirit to help one another change into who God has actually made us to be, and to share with those who don't know Jesus the everlasting reality that's ahead for them and for you and for me. And we get to do it in all walk of life. So they went back to Jerusalem to live, to do this very thing. That's what the resurrection of Jesus does. It gives us purpose. And so the last thing I just wanted to look at as we answer the question of what does the resurrection mean for us is what does Jesus want? Jesus wants something. He wants the gospel lived and shared. And listen, I'm so encouraged, Grace Hill, by what God is doing 
in this local church, the same Jesus that we are reading about today is the same one with whom we are obeying and experiencing and seeing to continue to do the same work that we have just read about in this text, saving people and encouraging people and calling them to go out and live in Jerusalem, to live in Herndon, to live wherever it is you live. This is what is happening today. It's what's happening in this church See, we're not playing a game. Church isn't just an idea that people want because we want people to show up to a place. It's to follow the God of the Bible, the resurrected Jesus, and to do the mission that he's called us to do together. And I'm so encouraged and proud as I read through this account to think through what God is doing through you. That C.S. Lewis's words weigh heavy on me because, man, the, the solemn nature of what he's saying there, there's, such a, there's such an encouragement and a lightness because life is really hard. There's hard things going on, but there's unbelievable gospel work happening in your life and in your life and in your life and all around this community because of you obeying the risen Savior. I'm so encouraged to be a part of what God is doing. People have come to life in Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in this church. People have crossed from death to life. Why? Yes, Jesus, but why? Because you took serious the call of the resurrected Jesus to go and proclaim his name to all of the nations and to go into your workplaces and to go into your friendships and to go into your families and trust in the hope and the courage that Jesus has given you to share the good news of the real and living Jesus. People have come from death to to life in here. It's unbelievable. People are walking in hope and courage and purpose in this church because of what? Yes, the resurrected Jesus, of course. But guess how that happened? Through you obeying the resurrected Jesus and giving your life and loving others as yourself, that people have hope and courage and purpose to live and follow the living resurrected Jesus because you are doing that. Because you are willing to go back to Jerusalem and live. People in other countries are being introduced to the resurrected and living Jesus because of, yes, of course, you know what I'm going to say, but because you are taking seriously the call to not just give money, but to pray and to be eager and to encourage those and to equip those to go out and share the gospel all over the world. Because you have a purpose and you want others to have that purpose. Herndon, Sterling, Reston, Fairfax, Ashburn, Centerville, McLean, all people all over are experiencing the love of Jesus because of your purpose that you have found in the risen Savior. You guys, you guys, this isn't a pep talk. This is a deep, deep encouragement to have you recognize and be aware of what is really happening and what the resurrection really means. You guys are doing it. 
We get to partake in that together. The resurrection means that we have the freedom to follow Jesus, to count the costs. Yes, Jesus says it. But to know without a shadow of a doubt, to know without a shadow of a doubt that it's all worth it. All of it is worth it because why? Jesus raised from the dead. It's worth it. And you're doing it. And I'm so proud of you guys because it's hard because we have an enemy. Paul wouldn't have to write, be steadfast and immovable. If this was easy, there wouldn't be distractions to say, I don't want to show up and commit to anything because we're Western Americans in, in, in you know, Northern Virginia who have a million things we can do. It's hard. You're counting the cost and say, Jesus is worth it. And I'm proud of you. And it encourages me to want to do the same thing. That's the point. And you're doing it. I want to see more of that, don't you? People from life to death, from death to life, I mean. For eternity, we will rejoice in these things. I just want to close. The resurrection of Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, puts the nails that put Jesus on the cross in the coffin of Satan. Satan has been conquered. That's why we can say that there's nothing that will keep us from the love of God anymore. That's why we know that not even the gates of hell will prevail anymore. Nothing will stop us. Nothing will stop us from obeying and following the purpose that Jesus has given to us because he's alive. What does the resurrection mean? means we can and should continue to do what we're doing. I want you to feel, yes, I mean that word. I want you to feel the pleasure of God with you, of following him and trusting him and obeying him, just like you would with your child, that you feel joy as they obey you and trust you, even when it's hard. Friends, we need to come and encourage one another daily, as the scripture said. Why? Because it is easy to miss all that the resurrection means for us. So Grace Hill, we keep at it today and tomorrow. And next month and next year. And we grieve together the losses. We rejoice together with the amazing things that we are seeing, that you are seeing because of your love and following Jesus, because of what you are doing and what Jesus has called for you to do. Don't miss the things that God is doing in our midst. Jesus wants us to do that. And Jesus gives us the hope and the courage and the purpose to do that together. And so our call for each other is to encourage us in that. That's what that means. Every day to encourage each other. That's what the scripture says. Encourage one another daily. Why? Because we're going to get discouraged every day. King Jesus is alive. And for those who aren't following Jesus today, what does the resurrection mean for you? And this is the close. I argue that Jesus is Life and death and resurrection gives us hope and courage and purpose. And my question is just simply this. What, what hope? Where are you putting your hope if it's not Jesus? Where is it? Will it last? 
It's a serious question. I don't mean to belittle. Will it last? Where do you get the courage to face each day? And what purpose do you live your life for? And see, this is one of the things I'm so thankful about the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, the whole point of the story of God in history is to show that God loves his people and he loved them enough to send his son to die for them. And he's gonna redeem everything. But the God of the Bible is also not a dictator. He will not make anyone do anything. In fact, it says he will give you what you want. In the book of Revelation chapter three, Jesus says this, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Do you hear a knock? Do you see the risen Jesus? Do you see what changed everything for those who are following Jesus, who went from sad to disbelief? What enabled the disciples of Jesus, the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, to face terrible deaths? It's the courage of the risen Jesus. That same Jesus is knocking. Will you let him in? The resurrected Jesus wants to give eternal life. He wants to give forgiveness for your sins. He wants to give you hope and courage and purpose because he made you. Will you open the door? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your word to us. Father, I'm so thankful that the good news of the gospel is the resurrected Jesus who's alive right now. And Father, I just have two simple prayers as we just respond to your word this morning and lift our voices to sing and to praise you and then to go from this place, God, to go out into Jerusalem and to live. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus and who are now followers of Jesus. Would you, Lord, do the very thing that you've done? Would you remind us of the hope and courage and purpose that you've given us? Father, would we be encouraged by the fruits that we've seen that you've borne in the life of this local church in and through us, obeying you and loving others as we love ourselves, Lord, imperfectly, with faith and repentance over and over again, Lord. Would you encourage us, Father, to know that our preferences aren't primary and so we can lock arms together for the sake of the gospel because Jesus is alive and he's resurrected. And Father, would you give us boldness and encouragement, Father, as we face difficult things and maybe we're facing them now, but Lord, would we be able to face those now with a hope, a holy hope that you have given us, that you're with us. 
And Lord, that we can go to other people and ask for help and that they would walk alongside us just like Jesus did the two men on the road to Emmaus. Father, we have things we can do. We can live, Lord. We don't have to just wait to die. We can encourage one another in the truth of the gospel that you walk with us today in this very moment and week after week and day after day in the ordinary moments, Father, you're with us. Oh God, encourage us to be able to do the very things that you've called us to do and that's to share the good news of Jesus as we love one another. Lord, help us to be a church that is known by our love of you and our love of one another. And God, I'm so thankful. And Lord, I know you're so proud of your people here who are seeking to obey you and to follow and be faithful in this. God, would you please continue to bless us, Lord, as we do the work you've called us to do. Lord, we wanna see more of it. God, we want more. We see more lives change. We want things in our own life to change because of the good news that Jesus is alive. Lord, please, please give us more. And Father, I pray lastly for those who don't know you, who are not following you. God, I pray that in the quietness of their heart, even here and now, as, as they hear me praying to you and as they're being prayed for amongst all those in this church, Lord, that those that don't know you, Father, that they would not miss the door knocking. Would they answer it, God? I pray in this very moment that if they want to answer it, they can say, Lord, forgive me, for I'm a sinner. I caused you to have to go to the cross and to die and to bleed out and to, Father, to, to, to pay for my sins. You did what I couldn't do for myself. And Lord, there's a million reasons why I have, a, have doubts and all these things, but Lord, I have one single reason to believe you. And it's because Jesus is alive. And I put my faith in him. And Lord, I pray that those who have opened the door to your knocking, God, that you would affirm them that if they have put their faith and trust in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, that they are now in the eternal kingdom, the family of God. And that they now have a hope and a courage and a purpose that they will grow in days over day, week after week, and month after month. And Lord, we want them to be encouraged and loved on as a part of this family your family, God. And so, Father, I pray that if you did that work in someone's heart, Lord, that they would share that with someone here today. It's someone they'd come down and to pray with and just to share, I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. I want to know more what it means to have hope and courage and purpose. Thank you, Jesus, that you're alive. whole faith depends on it. And Lord, now we lift our voices and we sing in that same hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.